0: Yeah, it's not going to be this week, it looks like. Good
1: morning, Spirit of Grace. Merry Christmas. Hope you all have a wonderful Christmas holiday together. We have come this morning to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's all stand.
0: and I appreciate that because God never lets us down. And uh, isn't that a wonderful blessing to know that no matter what's going on around us, he's always right on time. Praise God. Praise God. So good to see all of our guests with us today. Thank you for being with us. And it's our prayer that you would find Jesus to be very personal. And uh, we want to Just to have you feel at home here today in the presence of God. I'm glad to be done with Christmas. Hallelujah. (laughs) 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 However, this Sunday usually ends up being that in-between Sunday that feels a lot of sorts. Because Christmas is over and New Year's hasn't happened yet. But I just feel comfortable in the presence of God. (laughs) Amen. I'm glad to be able to celebrate Christmas because it lets me and reminds me each year of what God did for me and my family and for this church and, um, and then looking forward to a new year, whatever it may hold. Uh, we were all excited last year at this time about what 2020 would hold and I don't know how many are disappointed or not, but it doesn't matter what's really coming down the road as long as our hand is in the hand of the master. Because he's getting ready to do some amazing things, I believe, in our world over the next several months. I think 2021 is going to be a year of the kingdom. I believe that 2021 is not going to be about politics. It's not going to be about pandemic. It's going to be about the outpouring of the presence of God in the lives of all kinds people. I believe by the time, if the Lord should tarry, by the time 2021 is done... We're going to have testimony after testimony after testimony of lives changed, families transformed, no matter what goes on on the exterior, God is getting ready to do something amazing, I believe, in our presence. And I take that just because of precedent. If you read scripture, you'll see that every time it got the darkest is when the light began to shine and God began to move and do something. And uh, it has been not only a um, you know medical pandemic pandemic, darkness, it hasn't just been a political darkness or a financial, there's been a spiritual darkness that's been at battle throughout the last year and I believe that the light is getting ready to shine and the Bible says it this way, this light no man and no darkness can comprehend, none of it can grab a hold of it and I believe that if we'll just keep holding on to him that uh, we're going to see some amazing things done in the kingdom of God in 2021. Praise God, but that leaves us here with the last few days of 2020 And uh, I believe the Lord laid a message on my heart to share with you today out of the book of Ephesians chapter 2 If you want to turn there we're going to be reading a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 2 But I want to let you know that we've made some adjustments this week for several reasons But we're not going to have a New Year's Eve service here at 7 o'clock I'm going to do something online for That night, But um, we're going to have our quote-unquote New Year's Eve service next Sunday. So we're going to serve communion next Sunday. And we're going to have, uh, if somebody here wants to have a testimony, we'd love to hear from you next Sunday as well. Um, But there's, I know we've got another snowstorm coming in the middle of the week. And uh, all of the logistics of trying to get all of that taken care of. We just feel um, musically and everything that there's. We're better off just waiting until next Sunday. So there won't be any midweek service here. You can watch Nicole's postings for Chain Breakers as far as I'm concerned. That's her call, not mine. And uh, and, and so that'll be Wednesday night. But Thursday night we won't have service here, uh, but I will be online uh, that evening and uh, on Facebook and on YouTube. So uh, we want to encourage you to join us for just a couple of minutes that evening. And then come next Sunday with an expectation of really waving 2020 goodbye and embracing 2021. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to minister with the help of the Lord on this subject today. His masterpiece. His masterpiece. And uh, he's been working on it. I'm not an artist by any stretch. Stick figures are lucky if if I can get that accomplished. I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But uh, I I like looking at art. I like seeing it. I like uh, experiencing it, and then to hear some of the stories behind some of the art that's out there. How long it took, and uh, it's amazing to me. But I'm 50 years old in a couple of months. God has been working on this masterpiece for 50 some years and, uh, and I believe that God is doing a great work among us and creating masterpieces all across this building today so Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and you have he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which in times past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our manner of life in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God... Don't you always like that when you hear all this negative stuff? And then it just says, but God. Who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And have raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, everybody say that's right now. Right now in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through christ jesus for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Another word for that is masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. I want you to just say that. I am a masterpiece. In the heart of grace or at the heart of grace is the most wonderful Good news, bad news scenario that's ever been told the bad news, which, uh, you know, you always have somebody will give me the bad news first. Well, I'll give you the bad news first today. The bad news is, is that you and I, each and every one of us are in a desperate need of help. A desperate need of grace. All of us at one time or another have been dead in our sins as the scripture has said but the good news is that God has done something wonderful about our sins or about our deadness having taken the, the garbage if you will of our life or the trash of our life and made a beautiful showpiece out of each one of us and uh, time out Anthony it's good to have you home I mean not recognize you with the mask on this is Anthony Perkins. He's a longtime member. He's been out in the desert of Las Vegas, right? Out in that area. He brought all the snow with him this week. We blame him. But it's good to see you and have you with us. Time back in. He has made a way for all of our life to be transformed from junk to jewels. He has has created an opportunity or a way to transform us from useless to useful. He is, we are his reclamation project, if you will. One of the things that I enjoy watching is... Uh, and some of you are the same way, is the HGTV stuff, all the building stuff, and the the reclaimed wood stuff, and all that kind of, and watch what some of these people have an imagination to do to take some old piece of lumber and make it into this beautiful piece of furniture is mind-blowing to me, but that's exactly what God does. He takes a beat-up old wreck, and he makes a masterpiece out of it. In, several years ago now, in uh, this is probably 25 or 30 years ago now, in Decision magazine, Ruth Bell Graham tells the story of some fishermen in the highlands of Scotland who gathered, after being out on the, the, the sea, uh, and they gathered into a little inn for some tea, and they swapped their fish stories, if you will. And as one of them was describing the day's exploits, a waitress set down a cup of tea and his, the, the man was starting to use his hands as he talked and his hand flew and he hit the teacup, knocking the tea against this nice whitewashed wall. And instantly the tea made an ugly stain on this wall. And all of a sudden somebody else that was in the restaurant or the inn that day he jumped up and said, don't worry about it. I've got it. And he went over there, and he took a crayon, and he began to sketch around this stain that was on the wall. And in a short period of time, this stain that was on the wall took on form and substance and became a great work of art because little did the people in the inn know that day that the person that jumped up and began to draw on the wall was a man by the name of Sir Edward Landseer, who is England's foremost uh, painter of animals. And he began to make this beautiful mural out of a stain. And uh, and all of a sudden the artwork became, that which was a stain all of a sudden became something that was admired by everybody. And that's really a beautiful picture of what God does with you and I. He takes the stain on the wall, if you will, and he begins to make a work of art out of us. And he begins to form us and and frame us so that one day we become admired by somebody else. And I'm not talking necessarily in the human, but do you understand that the Bible says that the angels desire to look in? Do you understand that the book of Hebrews tells the prophets of old desire to look in and to have what you and I have had the opportunity to have? Because he has formed us and framed us in such a way that we have received the grace that they longed for. It's not because of anything that we have done to deserve it, but it's out of his boundless grace. And nowhere is this more clear than in the first paragraph of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul describes a process here. He describes God's process of fixing us, if you will, or saving us, if, if that would be the better term for you. But it's the process of taking a messy life, And making a showpiece or a piece of workmanship out of it. God takes the worst of all materials and he begins to form and transform them into a work of art. You see, Paul declares in verses 1 to 3 that all of us were a mess. And this is the ugly part. This is the the part that we would like to cover up. It's the part that we would like to push down and not talk about. It's the part that we like to pretend does not even exist, but it really does. And Paul even goes to great lengths to let us know that we are positionally dead in Christ. That We have no opportunity. He, he says it this way and you hath he made alive which were dead in trespasses and sin you and I were dead in trespasses and sin you see sin causes death according to Romans chapter 6 verse 23 it causes us to be separated from him we have no hope if we are dwelling in sin But the only thing that happens is that while we're in that sin, God created a way to transform us and to make us into something new and something better. We were actually spiritually dead. And here's the problem with that. Dead people can't do anything on their own. Because if they do, I am moving away from any (laughs) funerals. It's bad enough that I've did, delivered laundry to some funeral homes and walked in and seen them working, and I didn't like it very much. <laughs> Dead people can't pray. Dead people can't do good deeds. Dead people can't make themselves undead. They can't resuscitate, they can't revive, they can't resurrect. They are dead, but if there is something to be done about their deadness, it's going to have to be done by somebody else. And Paul is trying to get the attention of the Ephesians church and to you and I today to say, listen, even though you may seem to be dead in your sins and your trespasses, God has unleashed grace that will resurrect that which is dead in you and some of you may have been alive before but something seems to have gone dead in you over the last year or two or three years and you're looking for a resurrection. You've tried to do it on your own. Listen, you can't raise dead things. Only he can raise dead things. Even if your hand is used to raise somebody that has passed, it's really not you doing it. It's the power of God working in you to do it. Listen, he is trying to resurrect some dreams. He's trying to resurrect some anointings. He's trying to bring back new breath into a new vivacious relationship with him. He's wanting to move you from point A to point B, not because of anything you Because he wants to make a workmanship out of you. Because we're dead, we act dead. Our deadness is found in the way that we behave. The King James Version uses the worship, the word conversation among in verse 3, among whom also we ought all our manner of life, for our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the lust and of the mind and we're by nature and we're by nature children of wrath even as others you see all of us have followed the ways of the world all of us have succumbed to the prince and the power of the air at one time or another it doesn't matter who we are From the very best, Pastor Saban used to say There's very little difference Between the best of us and the worst of us At the foot of Calvary There's very little difference In fact, really there is no difference Other than the fact that Maybe we think we're a little bit better Than somebody else That's why Paul said Don't think of yourself so highly as you ought to think Because he understands Listen Even the great Paul who wrote probably two thirds of the New Testament, even the great apostle, he understood that he was wrong, that he was a mess, that he was a murderer, that he was a persecutor, that he was somebody that was all torn up on the inside, that he was dead in his trespasses and sins. Listen, if one of the greatest apostles can identify that he was dead, then you and I can identify that we might have been dead and that we may have been following after the deadness of our flesh. And and, and we were, were basically, I don't, I just I don't mean to be rude or crude, but some of us were just trash. We were messed up. We were stained. We were objects deserving wrath, according to this passage of Scripture. But then, all of a sudden, the Bible says, but God. God steps onto the scene. God steps into somebody's life. God begins to open up a door of opportunity to take trash and turn it into treasure. To take all the mess that we messed up and create a message of hope and, and For us Now all of a sudden We start becoming masterpieces You see It's interesting here in Verses 4 to 6 We were a mess But God saved us And let me just Suggest three things to you today In case you're trying to figure out How to become a masterpiece. You can't do it. Stop trying. Stop trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Stop trying to to measure here and measure there. Stop trying to do this and stop trying to do that. Because we see in verses 6, there's there's a couple of things. The three things I want you to notice today in verse 4. Notice who is the mover here. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love. It's God that moves. The dead person in verses 1 through 3, the messed up person, the tre- they didn't do anything, but in verse 4, God begins to move. Can I just tell you what I believe has been happening over the last couple of weeks and months? God is beginning to move again. God is beginning to, to step into people's lives again. God is trying to get somebody's attention. He's the one that moves. And the grace of God is found in the heart of God. Not some peripheral extension of who he is, but very heart of God is where grace is. It's not something that you and I can deserve. It's not uh, deserved by the object of the grace, but it's given or it's built by the giver of grace, who is God. God is trying to get somebody's attention, even here today, to tell you, listen, you may think you're all messed up and there's no hope, and you're not any good to anybody, but God is moving. God is acting. God is beginning to make a difference in somebody's life. Then in verse 4, notice the motive. The motive for God's grace is God's love. It's not. He doesn't move. He's not motivated by desperation. He's motivated by his love. I need to tell somebody. I just need to take a pause here and tell somebody. Even though you feel unlovable, he loves you. And he cannot help but loving you because he can't do anything else but love you because God is love. And so when you feel unlovable, when you feel like nobody loves you anymore, always turn around and say, but I know you love me. That's his motivation is his love. And then his method in verse number five is found what I call the the great with statements. Look at verse five. Even when we were dead in sins, notice that. He doesn't wait for you to rise up before he acts. Well, pastor, God can never do anything with me because I got to figure this out first. I've got to make it right. I got to step up to the plate. No, no, no. Even while we were dead. In our sins. He makes us alive. Together with Christ can I just tell you the story of Christmas is that God made a way for us to be with Christ by grace are you saved and hath raised us up together or has raised us up with Christ and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with Christ It's 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 the method, if you will. God created Christmas so you and I could rise from the dead. While we were yet dead, God began to move. Here's the thing that sometimes we forget was that the Bible says that it happened and it was established before the foundation of the world, which lets me know that the life of Christ, that it says the the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, which lets me know that the lamb was prepared to be born before the foundation of the world, which means he had it in preparation, even before sin got a hold of your heart, even before he killed you off and made you dead creatures to your sin and your trespasses, God already had the means and the motive and the method to create in you and brand new creature. In Romans chapter 4 verse 5 Paul uses a phrase that says his faith is counted for righteousness. The translation of that could be this. God makes even evil people right in His sight. You see, it's one thing to make good people right. It's entirely different to make bad people right. How in the world could something like that happen? It can't. It must come from heaven down to earth. Man has no way to save himself. God is the only one that possesses a way to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Where man fails, God excels. Luke said it this way in Luke 178. He said, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And another translation said it this way. A new day from heaven will dawn upon us. James 1 said every good gift and every perfect gift is from above with, with coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variableness therefore if that's the case and I believe it is salvation or being made alive or being fixed is therefore God-given God-driven God-empowered God originated and on this point alone What we do here as Christians is totally different from any other religion in the world. John MacArthur stated it this way. He said, as far as the way of salvation is concerned, there are only two religions the world has ever known or will ever know. The religion of divine accomplishment, which is biblical Christianity, and the religion of human achievement, which includes all the other kinds of religion, whatever name they may go under. god originated it god drove it he empowered it every other system of salvation outside of the scriptures is a bartering system if i can do this the god will do that i'm either saved by my works by what i do my emotions by what i experience or by my knowledge what i know That falls into almost every other religion, if you will. But the Bible has no wealth of negotiation at all. It's not, if you will do this, I will do this. If you will do this, I will do this. Man is not the negotiator. In fact, we have no ground from which to negotiate because we are dead. We're messed up. We're mistake-ridden, error-filled, tormented beings that can do nothing to get ourselves out of the mine that we find ourselves entrenched in. We have attempted to reach the mountain top and couldn't leave base camp. We have yet to leave and do, and our quest is simply too great, and the mountain is too high to climb. We don't need more supplies, more muscle, more strategy, more ideas, more technique. We need a helicopter. And God gave us one. He became the way for you and I to escape the mighty clay that we are found in. And still find ourselves in from time to time. Paul said it this way in 2nd Corinthians 519 to wit that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. God has saved us because of his love and his mercy. He has repaired for us what is broken. Our deadness is made alive because of him. That's the miracle of Christmas. That's the miracle of God's construction process of those who turn to Christ. He is taking dead men and women and bringing them to life again and seating them with Christ in heavenly places. F.B. Meyer described it this way. It's like the Amazon River pouring down water to one daisy. Something changes when you come into contact with him. Some of you might be here today and you're dead in your sins. And you're trying to figure out how to become a better person. Stop trying to figure it out because you'll never succeed. The only way you're going to succeed is if you surrender to him. Because he's already pushed you in the right direction. Because you're in his presence already today. St. Augustine If you study his life at all, he was quite the wild child. He was in Milan when his life was changed. God touched his heart. God raised him, if you will, from the dead. His resurrection process was applied to him. And and so he turned around and his life changed and transformed. and, and, And where he once was wild, he became sober and and when he returned home, his former girlfriend called to him, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And he turned to her and said, yes, but it is not I. There is a change that took place. I think there's a, that, that's a pretty clear description of the life-changing process that God has. You see, God doesn't want you to stay the same. And can I just be honest with you, why would you want to be the same? You're dead. No matter how you try to move, you're really not moving because you're a walking dead man or woman. Well, it's something that I have yet to figure out because it's an argument even with I, that I have with myself. Why do I get so tied to the things of this world when all the things of this world are dead? Why do I want that? And then I read Romans 7, and then I realize I'm human. You see, I'm thankful that God raised me. If you're here today, And there's something that's dead in you. Let God breathe life into it. It doesn't take a long time. Maybe you're fighting and you're struggling to just make it another day. Maybe you're a guest here today and you just said, finally, I'm going to get that person off my back that's been bugging me about coming to church. (coughs) But you come into his presence and you're feeling something that you might not have felt ever before. Can I tell you, it's not something to be afraid of? It's something to be excited about. Because what you're feeling is the breath of life into a dead being. Do you want to know how dead you can be and God still raise you up? Read Ezekiel 37. Dry bones. And the prophet began to prophesy the word of the Lord. And the Bible says there was a clanking of sound as the bones began to rattle together. It doesn't matter how dead you think you are. The life that God has can overcome that death. I'm just trying to tell somebody I've stopped here for a reason because there's somebody here that you are fighting in your life. You are fighting a daily battle in your brain trying to say, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough. How can I figure out to be a better? Stop fighting in your mind and start fighting in the spirit and start saying, God, I don't even know if you're real. But there's a crazy preacher up there right now telling me that you're the breath of life. I just need to have a little life. Would you breathe on me just a little bit? And just see what will happen. But God didn't just solve our problems for our own benefit. There's a point to the process of grace. We like to stop here and say, God can do it. (laughs) He's going to make me alive. His grace is awesome. But you want to know what? Don't take his grace for granted. Because the purpose of grace is not just to resurrect you, it's to reshape you. Paul makes it clear in verses 7 to 10, and uh, that we read in Ephesians, he also says that in 2 Corinthians 5, he tells the Corinthians that he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray in God in Christ's stead that you would be reconciled to God for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of God in him. In other words, his grace saves us, resurrects us, breathes new life into us so that you and I can breathe life into somebody else. So that through our prayers, through our living example, through our testimony, through something of our act of kindness or an act of faith, that people will see the life of God and the grace of God. And just that little bit of sight, just that little bit of breath from heaven through our actions, through the way we handle things, through the way we live, will breathe life into them. We are His people. We are his ambassador. We are the ones that people are looking at. In fact, the Bible says we are his written epistle. Here's the reason why. The Bible says unless they come under the presence of God or under the influence of the Spirit, they can't comprehend spiritual things. You can tell somebody that has no concept of spiritual things to read the Bible and they're not going to understand a word of it but you let them see somebody with flesh and blood and tears and struggle and raised their head up in the midst of of the chaos that's going on around them, and let them hear you say, To God be the glory, yeah. all praise and dominion and honor. Sometimes we have to force our head up a little bit. Sometimes we're so tired of the struggle that we have to fight to get our arms up. But when people know what's going on in our lives and they see us yet worshiping, they see us yet serving, there is something that happens. They are reading, if you will, the epistle of God and a spark is lit in them so by the time they get to this their minds are in a spiritual pattern and they can begin to comprehend and God can begin to reveal the word of God in Ephesians Paul uses the word showpiece or or to show in verse 7 it means to display or demonstrate the verb means that God intends to make a grand display of you A glorious example out of us. Now, some of us here don't like the limelight. Some of us want to hide in the corner, and not ever be seen. You want to know what? It can't happen with God. Because you are resurrected and designed to be a showpiece, a workmanship of his hand. It's like a trophy in a trophy case. God takes the trash of our lives and he makes a trophy out of it. In verse 10, he says we are his workmanship. That is, we're the product of his gracious, artistic craftsmanship. We are the showpiece of his grace. Now, I'm coming to a close. But showpiece is defined by Webster as a prime or outstanding example used for exhibition that is what God is trying to do with us the objects of his grace the products of his hands he is putting us on display can I tell you why we go through some things because we're on display And God has somebody that's watching you in the trophy case of grace, if you will. And how we respond to what's going on around us gives glory to the owner of the trophy. Because when they see that grace abounds in all situations, there's something that gets drawn back to them. And it's not back to the trophy itself. It's back to the creator of the trophy. He's putting us on display like we're the finest things he's ever done. Now, now, where do you put that drawing of your child that comes home from school? On the fridge. Is that picture really a masterpiece? Really? Because if my boys ever bring a masterpiece home, we're going to be auctioned. <laughs> masterpiece happens in the eye of the beholder. You see, What may be a little bit of scribbling from a two-year-old on a piece of paper to that mama is a masterpiece. What what, what may not look just right? Can I just tell you there's some art that I don't understand why it's become a classic. Mona Lisa's not that pretty. But somebody has declared it to be a masterpiece. What makes this display of God so magnificent is the material that God had to work with and the product that he ended up with. Here, here's what I'm asking you to do between now and Friday, the the flipping of the calendar. Every morning you wake up, you find a mirror and you look into that mirror and you say, I am a masterpiece of God. Before you put your makeup on. You chuckle. But why do we do some of the things we do? Because we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we look good enough. We try to hide behind some things. Listen, I'm not saying that you're being fake if you're wearing makeup and all that. that, You have to understand what I'm saying. But spiritually, we do the same thing. We walk in and we try to put on this facade and that facade and this front and this and in that front and and trying to make ourselves different than what we really are and and cover up any of the quote-unquote blemishes that we think we have. Can I just tell you something on a spiritual level and not on a natural level, but on a spiritual level, every time you cover up a blemish, you're covering up the handiwork of God. Every time you put on a fake front or a facade and you put on a wall of resistance in between you and the Lord, all you're really doing is saying, God, you didn't do very well. I've got to hide this. I've got to not be vulnerable in this area. I've got to put some makeup on this. i got to put a different kind of outfit on that because it doesn't doesn't match. It doesn't do this. My spirit's not exactly what it's supposed to be. Listen, if God has got the hold of you, every blemish is a masterpiece to Him. Every blemish is a masterpiece to the angels that are around Him, and all those that. Are the Going on before us, the witnesses that are getting around us, they're looking at us and they're saying, Stop worrying about your shortcomings, stop worrying about your blemishes, and get a hold of the things of God, because God is making a masterpiece out of you so that He can display you in front of others. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you. Sometimes it's hard to think of ourselves as a masterpiece because we've listened to the wrong voices for too long. But closing out 2020, God is trying to say to us exactly what he said to us in the scriptures in first Peter chapter two and verse number nine. He said it this way. You are a chosen generation. Can I just tell you don't ever allow the voice of the enemy to question your worth in God because his word has been forever established in heaven and the Bible says that I am chosen. I wasn't the last one in line chosen either, but even if I was the last one, he still chose me. He chose me to be his child, he chose me to be his son. He's chosen you to be his children as well. A royal priesthood. See, what you don't understand is when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you're looking at royalty. Somebody here gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says, oh, me, oh, my. I'm really not worth all that much. Or we look in the mirror and say, well, how can I get through the end of the day? Or we say, okay, I'm getting ready to go to work or school or whatever. What don't I want other people to see today? And let me mask it. I would to God that some of us would step into the office place tomorrow with our shoulders back, our head up, and said, I may be a laundry man, but I'm a royal laundry man. Oh, man. That's for me and Brad, by the way.
1: I'm a royal priesthood.
0: I'm a holy nation. I never dreamed I would be holy. I heard all my life that I needed to be. Can I just tell you, I had it beat over my head, the statement that God says, be ye holy for I am holy. And I was always taught and I was always preached that that was a command of something that I needed to do. God was telling me to be holy because he's holy. In other words, you figure out how to get holy because that's the only way you're going to be with me. Can I just tell you that that statement of God is not a command, but a declarative statement? He's declaring me holy because he's holy and my hand is in his hand. And because my hand is in his hand and because I have a relationship with him, it doesn't matter what others may say. His holiness has breathed his holiness into me. And if he's holy, that makes me holy because I'm a holy nation. Then I've always liked the next one, a peculiar people.
1: <laughs>
0: now I just have to tell you that I was probably the age of 14 when I memorized 1 Peter, I think that was the year for our Bible quizzing, and I would laugh every time I quote that verse, because in my head as I'm sitting up at the, the quizzing table, I was part of a quiz program, and it was a competition, and so I would sit up there, and I'd have to answer from that scripture, and I would see all these people like you, and I'd be thinking, oh, yeah, there's you other people out here. Until I really studied what that means. I'm glad to be peculiar. Now, I may be a little peculiar in the natural, too, but, but <laughs> peculiar means this. That God has taken his finger and he has drawn a line around me, declaring me to be his. I don't know if you're all catching on yet, but I'm trying to get to you today something that will dictate 2021. we're not cowering in the corner we're not in worry mode or panic mode but we are standing tall we are god's children we are his workmanship we have been designed to be his ambassador listen my friend we have Can I just tell you lost sheep ministries of Minnesota is going to have the greatest year in 2021 there's going to be more chains breaking and chain breaker ministry than ever has been thought of in the history of time. There's going to be more people attending this church than we ever dreamed of attending. Can I just tell you? I just want those of you that have been around here for more than two or three years, look around and see how many faces you actually recognize. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? To me, it's a good thing. Now, I'm looking forward to getting to know everybody. We have preached and we have prayed. Since December 28th, 2008, our very first service here, we prayed that Spirit of Grace Church, we preached that Spirit of Grace Church would not simply be another community church in the corner of Coon Rapids, but that we would become a force to be reckoned with in the spiritual world of those around us. Listen. It's only been 11, 12 years since we started that. But look at what's happened in 12 years. We built a building when we shouldn't probably have built a building. We got into it just in time so that we didn't have to close down all year. God uh, saw fit to have us finish it when it needed to be finished. And, And for those of you that were here, I don't know if you remember the service when we walked through those doors for the first time. But the power and the anointing that was there when it came in. Listen, if God should tarry the next 12 years... I can't imagine what's going to happen, but we're going to have to have 10 or 15 services on a Sunday. We're going to have to be, not because we're something great, but because God is trying to make workmanships out of people who's messed up, who, is, who are dead in their sins, and God has called into the church of spirit-based church. Of the Listen, it's not accidental of what our name is. Now I had nothing to do with choosing the name but our founders those that came before us Pastor Gary, Pastor Lil who have gone on to their reward in heaven who I think just every Sunday may slip off to the balconies of heaven just to see how's it going. (laughs) They changed their name when they came to this property. They were known as Grace Apostolic Church until they moved to this property and they changed their name to Spirit of Grace Church. Now I like Grace Apostolic, but that doesn't speak to everybody. That speaks to people the way I was raised. (laughs) Me growing up, I had a hard time trying to explain what an apostolic was to people. But it's very easy for me to speak what spirit of grace is. Because when I was dead, he raised me up. And he made me a workmanship to be displayed to those I invite you to stand. I think I shared this a few weeks ago. I can't remember. You'll just have to bear with me. But I wrote an article 30-some years ago when I was a college student. Thought I was being real intelligent when I was doing it. Learned a lot since then. But I wrote an article, and the title of the article was a question. And it was simply this, did God promise me a rose garden? And that article for our school paper, that article was birthed out of a message that I heard by somebody. And just one little statement in the middle of it, God never promised us a rose garden. And I know what he was saying. He was saying God didn't promise us an easy path. God didn't promise us that we wouldn't face troubles. Can I just be honest with you? I think believers may face more troubles than non-believers. And here's the reason why. Because non-believers need to see somebody that can be victorious in the middle of their troubles. I mean, you think about it. You think about the people that we hold up in in this, the woman with the issue of blood. She went broke 12 years. You think about blind Bartimaeus. You think about the blind man that gave beautiful. You think about the, the lame man that Every year when the pool was stirred Just didn't have anybody to get him in And he had just sat on her You know some of us would say oh, Why me, why me, why me What about the blind man of John 9 That even the disciples complained to God Who have sinned this man or his parents And Jesus' response was neither He was blind So that the glory of God Would be revealed If you're going through something Just know this. God trusts you to go through it. God trusts you to go through it. Stop saying, Why God? Why me? Why me? I don't get it. And start saying, Thank you for trusting me, God. I will hold my head up high. He did promise us a trip through the Rose Garden. I can't, I hate roses. You can ask my wife, she knows, it's nothing new to her. We had a rose bush on the edge of our house that I tried every measure possible, I dug up the roots, I poured gas on it, I lit a mat, I did everything I could, and every spring that rose bush came back. But I can't argue when I see a rose garden How beautiful it is But in the midst of the beauty Underneath the beauty there's some thorns That we have to deal with God promised us A walk through the rose garden Because there's going to be beauty in the midst of thorns, and I am looking at a beautiful group of people right now, and I know that every one of you have dealt with thorns. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hands as they begin to sing, and I just want you, if you're here today and you've just been, there's some dead things that you just need to have resuscitated by the grace of God. Just say, God, here I am. Breathe into me. If you're somebody that's already received His grace, say, God, continue to make me my ma- your masterpiece, your workmanship so that I can spread your love to somebody else. Would you begin to do that as they sing and, they, and as they worship? Begin to worship Him in Jesus' name.